0: If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha Hashavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you, to spend some time to talk about relevant issues, to talk about the Parsha, to see what the Torah has to tell us, to look at the world and try and see it through the eyes of Torah. The world can be, and often is, a very confusing place. And one begins to wonder, what is it really all about? One listens to the stories, one listens to the lies, one listens to the presentations that people make, and one wonders, can this be real? And therefore, one needs the anchor, the truth of Torah, the clarity of Torah, the light of Torah, to see how in fact to interpret what in fact is taking place in the world, the events that seem to surround us, particularly at this time when so much noise, so much confusion is being thrust at us from all quarters. One has to have a degree of clarity and truth in order to make sense of that which is taking place. Tonight, is Yutes Kislev, the 19th day of Kislev. And among the Chabad Hasidim, in fact, among Jews around the world, it's a day of great celebration. It's the day that the first Chabad Rebbe, in 1798, was liberated from Tsarist prison, where he was put into on false charges of treason, can you believe? And he spent 53 days there, difficult days. And the Hasidim thought that it was coming to an end, the great glory of Hasidism, began with the Baal Shem Tov, followed by other great sages, and brought to light in extraordinary fashion by Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, known as the Alter Rebbe. He was the Baal HaTanya, the author of that great classic book, the Tanya, a book that talks to us about the soul, that talks to us about creation, talks to us about God, talks to us about Torah, opens the door, pulls aside the curtains of mysticism, and enables us through logic, through reason, through understanding to a large degree, understand the ways of God, the concepts of God. He's the author of the Rav Shulchan Aruch, the great Shulchan Aruch that was brought into the particular language of Rav Shner Zalman of Liadi, a man who was a giant in Torah, in the revealed part of Torah, in the mystical dimension of Torah, and he was put into prison based upon false charges of treason. And while in prison, he was interrogated many many times by people who thought that his behavior was contrary to the laws of the Tsar of Russia one of the charges that was brought against him is that he was supporting a foreign a foreign country because he had raised large sums of money for the Jews in the Holy Land of Israel the Jews who then lived in Israel were impoverished and he had set up a fund called Kohl Chabad to help those Jews by sending money on a regular basis in order that they could continue their lives, those who studied, those who simply lived there but had no work. And they said because the country then was under the rule of Turkey, it was a foreign a foreign country that was not in good terms with Russia at the time and therefore this was one of the charges of treason he explained it was simply a charitable organization helping individuals that were close to him this went on for quite a bit of time what was happening what was happening was not only that this great righteous man was thrown into prison on false charges but in the heavenly realms there was a tremendous reaction to that which the Al-Tzarebbe was trying to do. He was trying to bring the realm of Hasidic thought, of mystical thought, into the dimensions of reason. His school of thought, Chabad, which stands for Chokhmah, Bina, and Dat, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, not only to accept those mystical ideas on faith alone, but to truly understand them with one's mind. And we are told by the rabbis that this is something which caused extreme concern within the spiritual realms. This was not a time to reveal mysticism. Some spiritual dimensions argued in the higher spiritual courts. And this reflected within the physical world through that which was happening to the Alter Rebbe. But, on the nineteenth of Kislev, he was liberated, and he himself writes when he came to the passage he was reciting Tilim, the passage that said "Pada Nafshi King David was saying that my soul was redeemed in peace. King David was re- referring to the terrible, terrible battle that he had with his own son Absalom, and how even the soldiers and men of Absalom turned to David and prayed for the welfare of David. The Al-Terebus said that those who conspired to put me into prison, they too are praying for my welfare. And it was at this moment that he was told that he in fact was a free man. And what happened as a result is not only an individual, a great individual was liberated from prison a terrible prison. But in fact, the wellsprings of Hasidut began to flow into the world. The Tanya, other dimensions of Hasidut, it became part and parcel of Jewish faith. And today around the world, people study these books, ideas, to a tremendous degree. This strengthens our faith, it helps our faith, it makes us understand what godliness is all about. And this is something which is important for us to understand. Faith on its own is not enough. We have to use our minds to understand dimensions of mystical insight, of godly insight, And while one could argue and say, this is way beyond human ability, of course, there are certain things which are way beyond human ability. But there are so many dimensions that are within the realm of human understanding. And this is something that we have to achieve. So tonight we celebrate. And soon we'll talk about how this relates to the Parsha of the Week, Vayishlach. More of that soon. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska only on 101.9 high FM. Vayishlach, a tremendous parsha. A parsha that talks about, well again, another incredible moment in the life of Jacob. Jacob's on his way back to his parents after 20 years. He's gone through a difficult time. Yes, he's raised a magnificent family. Well, he has wives, he has children, each one a giant in his own realm. He has amassed a huge fortune. But there is a block along the way. He has to encounter his brother Esau, Esau, who has vowed to kill him. And Esau is standing in the way between Yaakov and his parents' home. And Yaakov is wondering, has Esau forgiven him. Has Esau come to terms with the fact that Yaakov is the one who rightfully received the blessings from his father Isaac? Or is Esau still committed to the terrible vow that he made that he is going to kill Jacob? So he sends messengers and the messengers come back and tell Jacob that Esau is marching toward him with four hundred armed men, a formidable army, an army that is there with the sole purpose of killing Yaakov and his family. Yakov prepares, and Yakov prepares in different ways, we are told in three ways. On the one hand, there is appeasement, sends him gifts, there is prayer to the Almighty after all. Jacob is a man of great piety, dedicated and connected to God. But also he prepares for war. He prepares for the possibility of battle. And here the relevance of that story rings with tremendous resonance in our ears. The idea that from time to time the Jewish people have to prepare for war. And war is not something which is pleasant. War is not something that we want. War is not something that we look for. But war is something that from time to time becomes a necessity in order to protect yours, your family, that which is really your own responsibility. And at the beginning of the Parsha, there are two things that stand out, that talk to us, that talk to us in terms of telling us who is Yaakov, and how does he prepare for war? What is he thinking? What are the feelings, what are the thoughts that are going through his head at this time? And the apostle tells us, Vayira Yaakov Ma'od, v'yitzirla. Yaakov was extremely frightened, very frightened and he was also extremely distressed. Why was he frightened? Well after all, Asov, a very powerful man, a hunter since a young age, coming toward him with a powerful army of 400 men. Yaakov was traveling with a family, his wives, his children, They're not an army, they've never fought. This is not their way. Of course he's frightened. God forbid to encounter this ferocious army of 400 men, how many of his own, how many of his family, God forbid, will fall in that encounter. And this is why he is very frightened. But he's also extremely distressed. And the distress is, in fact, far more acute than the fear that he feels. What is he distressed about? He is distressed, tell us our holy commentaries, that he might have to take the lives of others of his enemy. And this causes him far greater pain than the knowledge that he might lose some of his own. Can you imagine? Jacob is marching toward his brother. His brother has vowed to kill him. His brother is marching toward him with four hundred armed men. Yaakov is not a soldier. Yaakov has never fought in an army. Yaakov is traveling with his family. His Twelve sons. A daughter. His wives. His herds. His flocks. Chances are this could be a brutal, bloody battle. Of course he's frightened. But what distresses Yaakov most of all is that he might have to take the life of an enemy. Because this is who Yakov is. Yaakov cherishes life. Not only his own and those close to him. He cherishes the life of everyone, because life is precious. And therefore, even the life of his enemy that he might have to take is something which distresses him. And it's this compassion, it's this sensitivity, it's this incredibly powerful morality... That tells us who Yaakov is. And who is Yaakov? Yaakov is our patriarch. Yaakov is the chosen of the fathers, the chosen of the patriarchs. Yaakov is the one who establishes the tribes. In fact, the Jewish people are called B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, the second name of Jacob. Yaakov is the one who in fact gives each and every one of his children throughout the ages a legacy of this type of compassion of mercy of concern of recognizing how precious life is and even when going into battle against a people who are dedicated to kill you you are extremely distressed at the possibility that you might have to take their life this is who Jacob is and this is what he teaches his children and this is what his children become people who even when they have to go into battle And they did, often, throughout history. And they do today, as we know. This is part of our legacy. The distress that we experience and we feel when we think that we have to take the life of another. We've heard it so many times. Who are our soldiers? It's the next-door neighbor it's the guy in the shop down the street it's the teacher it's the cab driver it's people that we know people that we live with these are not bloodthirsty mercenaries people who are ready to kill these are by and large gentle people fathers, brothers, sisters. And when they go into battle, there is a powerful and deep morality that guides them. A powerful and deep compassion that drives them. And this is something that the world doesn't understand. This is the Parsha of Ayishlach, that the world has to learn, and this is the Parsha of a Yishloch that we as Jews have to pronounce with extraordinary volume to tell the world this is who we are, and this is the clarity of Torah, this is the light of Torah. And this is why the noise that comes out of the media, that comes out of the televisions, that comes out of the radios, that comes out of the newspapers, the noise and the lies have to be deadened. By simply reading this passage by Yaakov Ma'od, Yaakov was very frightened that he or those whom he loved might die in this bloody clash. But more so, by Yitzher, he was incredibly distressed that he might have to take the life of even his enemy. Because this is who Jacob is, and this is what he teaches his children. That's the first lesson we learn in Jacob's preparation for battle. And then we learn something else. He says a prayer to God. And what does he say in that prayer? Of course he turns to God and asks for help. But he says, God, I've become humble as a result of all the kindness and compassion and goodness that you've given me. Whenever God showers one with goodness and with kindness and with blessing. The result has to be a sense of tremendous humility in the presence of God. Yaakov says, you've shown me so much compassion. When I came penniless to the house of Lovin, and he constantly tricked me and you blessed me and you guided me And you enabled me to build this magnificent family. And you showered me with this incredible wealth. And you allowed me to retain my beautiful identity. That even though I lived in the house of love and a society that was corrupt, I retained the precious teachings of my father and mother. Katanti. he says I am humbled by all of that what is Yaakov telling us an incredible lesson of how to understand appreciation you know last weekend America other parts of the world as well celebrated an interesting holiday called Thanksgiving and one of the things people do on Thanksgiving in America, they sit around the table and everybody talks about something that they are thankful for. Do we do that enough? We live in a world where kids, young people, feel entitled and parents throw, throw things at their children, give things to their children whether they deserve it or not and they think this is the way they're going to earn love from their children but they don't we have to understand what thanksgiving and appreciation is really all about you know one would think that at this moment Yaakov would say listen God I've done the right thing all the time I've been loyal I've fulfilled all the commandments I lived a life of decency morality you must help me now though that's not what Yaakov says. Yaakov says, Katanti, I feel humbled. I feel that I don't deserve anything more. And it's in this humility that he places his destiny, his future, his hope in the hands of God. More of that song. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about, Katonti, the ability of recognizing what in fact receiving is all about. But before that, due to some technical changes happening at High FM on Sunday and Monday, we are giving you a heads up that you can expect transmission interruptions. Interruptions may extend throughout the week. Katonti, that's what Jacob says. He turns to God, he asks God to help him, of course. But at the same time he says, Katonti mikola I am humbled as a result of all the kindness that you've shown me over the years. And this is something that we have to instill into our societies, into modern society. You know, parents think that by simply giving their children more and more The children will love them more and more but that's not true. The children won't love them more and more. Children simply become more and more entitled and they become less and less loving of their parents. What children want from parents is clarity and direction and leadership and strength, an anchor, something to rely on, not things In fact, parents have often become afraid of their children. And they think that by giving them things constantly, they will win them over. And it's proven to be so, so wrong. You know, parents don't teach children how to express themselves with the idea of katonti, of showing gratitude, of expressing thanksgiving you know the festival of thanksgiving is an interesting festival it's a festival that talks about when the pilgrims first came to America they, they left a the country where there was no religious freedom and they came to a new country and uh, well year after year they expressed thanksgiving that God showed them God showed them a new land, a new opportunity and gave them whatever God gave them in order to establish a new life with religious freedom. But tragically, over the years, you know, although there are many families who sit around the table and each one expresses something they are thankful for, there are so many that sit around the table eating their turkey and they say they have nothing to say, they have really nothing to be thankful for. And when you think about that, isn't that a tragedy? You sit around the table, and life is comfortable. And when you're asked to say, is there something that you're thankful for, and you have nothing to say? And the reason you have nothing to say is because you haven't been taught how to show appreciation or to understand appreciation or to recognize what you have to be thankful for. And this is the second thing. That Yaakov teaches us. The first is appreciation, recognition of life. Each life is valuable. And the second is to show appreciation to ev- for everything that we have. Take nothing for granted. Don't think it's there because it's there and you are entitled to have it. Yes, by all means. By all means, you must reward people for their efforts. But there is something in the mystical writings called Nahamad Chesufa, unearned bread, where you get something for nothing after a while. You begin to resent it, because you begin to recognize that you haven't earned it. And a human being who simply enjoys that which he hasn't earned begins to resent it. And that creates tremendous inner conflict a tremendous sense of dissatisfaction with life itself Kadanti to teach people how to say thank you and to mean it to teach people how to turn to Hashem to God and say thank you thank you for my health thank you for my nachas of children to learn how to stop being entitled and stop complaining all the time. Yes, of course there are so many challenges in life. And there are a great many people who have great difficulties in life. But you can't complain all the time. And the funny thing is, it's not always those who have difficulties that complain. More than often I find it's people who have everything that complain most of all. People who live within tremendous ease and comfort, even luxury, are the ones who complain most of all. This idea of, well, it's due to me. Entitlement. Terrible. One has to understand that God created us with hearts, with minds, with abilities, with talents. We have to use them. We have to develop them. We have to grow. As mentioned at the early part of the show, you kislev a festival of liberation. Liberation means you become free, not to do nothing, but to take on greater responsibility, to work harder at life, to work harder at helping someone else, to work harder at creating a better society. That's what liberation is all about. Liberation isn't sitting back and doing nothing and simply enjoying the fruits of whatever it is that you're enjoying. That's not liberation. <laughs> That's a greater restriction of life. Liberation is the opportunity of creating Something new and better as a result of new opportunities, katanti. Vaishlach is a powerful parsha. It's a parsha that speaks about, well, victory, miracles. It speaks about reconciliation. It speaks about personal challenges. It's a great parsha. So when you're in shul tomorrow, and as I say every single week, get the shul. It's a safe place. Get the shoe and listen to the Parsha. Open the Chumashim. Look at the English translation. But listen to the Parsha being read. And listen carefully to as much as you can. Because the Parsha is full of wisdom, full of direction, full of guidance. But listen carefully to that particular part of the Parsha that speaks to you. I promise you. You'll hear it, and when you hear it, you'll be filled with an inner joy, with an inner purpose. So listen to it carefully. Vayishlach is an incredible parsha. Yaakov meets great challenges, great victories, great moments of liberation. It's a Shabbos of great festivity. Use the Shabbos well. The Shabbos.